Monaco might have been where the zero pods were discarded, but Barcelona is where they truly died. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. God, I fucked around and let Cam take the intro. What is wrong with me? Welcome to episode 446 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And it's the moment you've all been waiting for. I bet you guys couldn't wait for us to talk about this one instead of the Le Mans preview. It is our Formula One Spanish Grand Prix review. And um, yeah, there's no real, like, I I can't really style this out or soften the blow on this one. So I'm just going to rip this Band-Aid off right here and now. Max Verstappen absolutely destroyed the goddamn field tonight. Well, not tonight. We're recording this on the Wednesday, Thursday. Wednesday, Thursday. Jeez, I'm struggling here. Time um, is a construct, and the RB19 is making it shorter. Yeah, it's just it's just saving time everywhere. Like, just just taking time off the clock on a constant basis. With me on this week's edition of the show, it's a cozy two-show uh, two affair with me and Cam Buckley. Hello, Cam. How's it going, sir? It's going all right. Um, currently over the moon with uh, P4 and qualifying for Porsche at Le Mans. Uh, a race which promises to be far closer than any Formula One race this year, despite Ferrari. Yes, that Ferrari uh, taking pole. They actually have something to celebrate this year because they certainly can't celebrate their upgrade package for the Spanish Grand Prix. Oh, <laughs> they we'll reeked. It was, um, shall we say, unserious regarding mm. uh, Ferrari's upgrade package on that one. Um Carlos Sainz had it reasonably bad. Charles Leclerc had it very bad. Um, uh, captain of the down bad express, Charles Leclerc now. Oh, that man is nothing but pain at the moment. Um, just nothing but pain and anguish. It was a bad time for Ferrari to have their upgrades down in Spain and then realize mm, they might not have actually worked that well. I mean, Carlos Sainz himself after the race said it was, quote, difficult to tell whether the upgrades had any impact or not because they were just butchering their tires again and Charles Leclerc apparently couldn't turn left that's a problem you know I find it funny that uh you know Formula One fans will shit on NASCAR for only turning left all the time and then F1 drivers go can I try (laughs) so uh, for those who don't know uh Coach K Kamui Kobayashi is actually going to be guest starring in a NASCAR race later this year. He is. He's going to be racing the Brickyard 200 for tw- for 2311 racing alongside Bubba Wallace and uh, Tyler Reddick. So he'll be um, taking part in NASCAR. Only the second Japanese driver ever to uh, take part in NASCAR. Um, uh, no, NASCAR's Cup Series, at least anyway. But uh, yes, that's really cool. I love seeing like more and more F1 drivers just give NASCAR a go more than anything else. So, yeah, it's very, him. very cool. Uh, we've had Jensen. We've had a few. Um, we want more. More yeah, is Kim, good. Yeah, Kimmy and, we had Kimmy and Jensen at Kota. We've, we've got from the, the world of Supercars, we've got Shane Van Gisbergen coming over later as well. So that's going to be very cool to see uh, as well. That, that is a man that certainly knows his wheel. Um, so looking forward to seeing that later on. I think it's going to be the Chicago Street Course round as well for Trackhouse. Uh, mm. So that's going to be very, very cool to see as well. Um, so, yeah, like over the course of the rest of this Spanish Grand Prix podcast, we're going to talk Max Verstappen beating the entire field over his knee. Um, that it, it, I, I can't even mince it. It was destruction. 
casual destruction. It's the easiest I've ever seen anybody win a Grand Prix in quite some time. Um, we'll talk about the fight for second in general because it was a little bit all over the place. In, uh, Mercs, actually a small bit of hope out of that department, maybe. Ferrari, not so much. Alpine, they were there. Uh, team were, were a bit off, to be honest, but we'll have to wait and see. And Aston Martin, we can confirm, was there. They did attend this race. Um, not much to speak of uh, on that one. Lance Stroll actually attended this race for once in his life. Yeah, Stroll was good this weekend. Good for him. You know, every little helps. And we're going to have to have another little chat about Sergio Perez because, uh, hey, remember when he won Baku and the title gap was only six points? Seems like so long ago. Yeah, that was after Baku. That was like barely a month ago. And he's now, since then, two races off the top. Not ideal. Uh, we we might we might be in a situation where this title fight is already over, which uh, can't be good. Um, given we still have what fourteen rounds to go. Um, God help us. We'll, we will we will have to wait and see how that all plays out. But basically, you can find us real quick. We're on YouTube and Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One. We're on Twitter at motorsport uh, underscore one of our personal handles are at dre underscore wtf1 and at c buckley 917 and you can check all of our details out as well as our patreon page at motorsport101.com including some bonus content if you like your, your written stuff uh, you can get uh, my thoughts on this race and detroit's new grand prix and street track there as well that's on the website for your reading pleasure but uh Without further ado, let's get into the Spanish Grand Prix. We're really not going to beat around the bush on this one. Max Verstappen aimed the death laser at this track and obliterated the entire field. He qualified on pole by half a second with his first lap and then destroyed the field by 24 seconds, leading every lap en route to a Grand Slam victory. It now takes Max Verstappen to 155 consecutive laps led in F1, and he now carries a, as Dre mentioned, over two race lead of 53 points in the championship after Sergio Perez stunk up the joint in qualifying and had to recover two-fourth from 11th. Dre? Uh-huh. It feels like we're repeating ourselves here uh, every F1 episode, but how ominous was this beating? Terrifying. That's just... This was painful. This was... This was just a comprehensive, all-round beating. Like, the... It, it's very rare, even like even when like we grew up in the Hamilton era, we grew up in the Schumacher era. Hamilton had his days, right? But at least back then, Nico Rosberg most of the time was able to run him close, right? You know what I actually think? Uh, the race put out an article, which I think was very comparable, which they compared it to 2020, um, mm. with, of course, the W11 and Lewis, where Max was trying to chase him down, and then Lewis pulls the trigger uh, about 10 laps into the race, drops a lap that's one and a half seconds clear of the entire field, and, well, everyone just has to wave the white flag. There's nothing you can do. Yeah, And it's that same sense of inevitability around here. I mean, we knew the Red Bull was going to be good here. This is a track that F1 teams know better than any other. We test here. We've been coming here for decades. And it, it, it 
asks questions of the car in every sense. Mm. High speeds corners, medium speed corners, low speed corners, and it's brutal on tires. Yeah. And it's got and it's got enough straights that you need the straight line speed. Mm. And I mean there was no stage where it was even under threat from any other team or indeed, but- indeed even his teammate because Perez cannot live with the car on the limit the way Max can. Max can set the car up in such a way that it's super front-end positive and super neutral, and he just he just drives through it. And you got to okay to put it into perspective, he was nearly half a second faster than Signs in qualifying. That was on his banker lap. He he yep. was on he was on a lap that was even quicker through two splits, but backed out of it because his time was already on pole. Everybody else had already come through the line and nobody could beat him. So they didn't even bother finishing his final lap. Um, And on top of that, like he ran a more conservative two-stopper than pretty much most of the field around him. The majority of the field started on the soft compound tire. Max was one of the few, I think only two or three people started on the medium tire. And he was still... He and Perez. Yeah, he and Perez were two of the only guys to start on the medium, and they still ran faster than the other cars behind him. This is nuts. I mean, Dre, there was there was a point in the race um, where everyone else had stopped for their first set, and Max was still running on his mediums. And this is a severe tire degradation track as we'll about get as to as it, discuss about, about as bad as it gets on the f1 calendar between this and silverstone yeah ultra abrasive high speed corners long corners that really punish the tire tires uh thermally mm. well he's still on his first set of mediums everyone else is on fresh mediums or hards and he just casually knocks in a five to six tenth advantage more or less at will over those guys not only was he faster than everyone on a step harder of tire, he had at minimum six to seven tenths that he had whenever he wanted to prep, put his foot down. We, we talked about this um, a couple of rounds ago where it's just like Max, unlike anybody else I've seen in the modern era besides maybe Hamilton and maybe Seb- Sebastian Vettel is very best just completely be able to dictate the terms of engagement. Like he can control the entire race. He can set whatever pace that Red Bull needs or wants him to set. And he can just go about his business comfortably. The last time anybody other than Max led a Grand Prix was lap 46 of Miami. Remind me what he did there, Dre. Um, one lap later, he went around the outside of Sergio Perez at turn one. One lap after he'd come out for his last stint on medium ties to win the race. From what position on the grid? Ninth. Do you see what we're getting at here? Um, it, it's it's as I've described it before. It's just a combination of a, a, a truly extraordinary racing car. I mean, they haven't even looked like losing a race thus far. And I mean, Lewis's fastest lap, and we'll get to Mercedes a little bit later because they are a talking point from this race. Absolutely. Um, his fastest lap was only three tenths off of Max's on pretty much the same tire, but he had DRS down the main straight, which is worth about 
a little under half a second a lap here. Yeah, I saw I saw um, I saw Brake's tweet about it. Um, if you check if you haven't if you don't watch Break, his content is great. I do highly recommend. Him. He's, a, he's a he's a good mate and does great stuff. Yeah, he 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 reckoned DRS was worth about point four of a second. Yeah, and it still just didn't mean anything in the end. It's just that that was as close as Lewis got. And, and again, one lap pace is not what this Red Bull is best at. It's the best at it, but it's not where its advantage is biggest. No. Um, it's it's such a flexible tool. It's a car that you can use to drill someone over a lap or drill them over a stint or just go drive around people. Um, it does everything well, and Max can drive at and over the limit of it and live with it in a way that Sergio just cannot. Um, and it wasn't even a, a strategic screw up or anything like or a crash Sergio just did not have the pace he just struggled I think, of the I, think, I think in qualifying he just struggled to get heat into the tires and he wasn't the only person that had that problem George Russell had that problem Charles Leclerc had that problem and we'll get a little bit more into detail on that later but Perez just struggled in qualifying and again like we all know the car is a cheat code and Perez will recover reasonably well but Fourth is actually, I think, a bit disappointing for Perez, given that George Russell started behind him on the ro- on, on the grid and then beat him on the road straight up. <laughs> given the quality of car that Perez is in, that's completely fucking unacceptable, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, and Max finished twenty four seconds up the road again. He was he spent two thirds of the race on an entire compound harder of tire than everyone around him. He fucked around. He 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 was on a black and white warning flag for track limits. <laughs> he was just like he was he was he, he was as James May would say cocking about, basically. And like I still distinctly remember when he set that fast. It was it was lap sixty one. It was the fastest lap of the race. And then his race engineer gets on and says, "Okay, now can you bring it home in one piece?" I love <laughs> GP. He is such. GP's he is funny. so wonderful on the radio. <laughs> he reminds um, me of Rocky. Just- <laughs> Exactly, it's the same dynamic as always. Like, I'm going to be as passive aggressive towards you as possible until you comply. Yeah, it's like okay, it's like okay. You said it was like okay. Now, can you just bring it home, please? Like, yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just a, a microcosm of everything that Max is on this level right now. Uh, what the car is right now, and then Red Bull. You know, they ripped off a 2.07 second stop, and that was. <laughs> Really, not that much faster than their other stops. Two point two and two point two, regardless. Yeah. Or, or, uh, or um, that's the wrong word. I'm a professional podcaster. Of course. Um. <laughs> yeah. Two point two, two point two, two point Everything is coming up, Millhouse. Their execution is essentially flawless at the moment. Yeah. That two point zero, two point zero seven is one of the fastest stops we've had since they have the built-in 0.35 failsafe on F1 stops now because people thought Red Bull was too good at this, basically. They were like, there's something funky going on here. So the FIA was like, okay, fine, we'll manually slow down the stop a little bit. 2.07 is about a 1.8 net once you yeah, factor in the... Because like the FIA has got a built-in failsafe now, so I think it's, it's worth about, I think it's 0.35 of a second they, that manually they are... They, they're bounced they up against the, the systemic and human limit of pit stops right now. Yeah. 
It's the second fastest pit stop since that adjustment came in. McLaren had, I think, had a 1.9 with Daniel Ricciardo last year, which is absolutely berserk that McLaren was able to pull that out. But shame it got wasted on Daniel Ricciardo last year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit like trying to put a jetpack on a, on an anchor. Um, it's it's just, it just seems like a bit of a waste of time, personally. Um, a bit like Daniel Ricciardo's McLaren run in general, to be honest. But uh, hey, what can you do? I mean, what more needs to be said? Grand Slam win, the third of Verstappen's career. Like I said, 155 consecutive laps led. In fact, another fun fact for you, we've only had 16 laps all season that have been led by anyone other than a Red Bull. Hmm? This car is cracked as fuck. Yeah. Like, the last time anybody not in a Red Bull led a Grand Prix was Charles Leclerc on lap two of Baku. Provided this machine stays reliable, I think we're looking at at minimum a new a new member of the top five F1 cars of all time at a minimum. And we're in what race seven of the year. We're seven now, and we're a further away in. Like it gets busier again after the summer break, but like we, 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 it, it, the, the pace slows down a little bit now in terms of calendar races and whatnot because we've got a week off, and then we're then we're going to Canada. No, no, we are definitely going to Canada. Thank, like, it's amazing how the air quality is actually worse in New York than it is where the bushfires are actually happening. But uh, that's weather for you. Climate change is a bastard. Um, but uh, obviously, everybody stay safe up there in, in New York and obviously all over North America because I know it's pretty rough up there at the moment. Besides the point... I'm rough outside. <laughs> no kidding. Um, besides my point, overall, is just... This is bonkers. Like like I said, it's it's been... The last time anybody other than a Red Bull led a Grand Prix, the calendar read April on it. That's that's how far back you have to go um, for anyone to even touch this team. And to think they still very nearly lost at Monaco. <laughs> it's, yeah, there were, were one pit stop call away, uh, such as Formula One. But, I mean, the last time they weren't leading a race, uh, it only took a 22-mile-per-hour differential down the main straight to cure that. Yeah. It's one of the most, like, I remember writing a short about that very clip on WTF1, and I think it's the most watched short I've put out there. I think nearly 200,000 people have watched it, um, which is a bit wild for me. But uh, yeah, that like George Russell back then said you could take the rear wing off the Mercedes entirely, and he still thinks they'd be slower in a straight line than the Red Bull is with DRS. I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> like, that's... Yeesh. Like and, and to be fair, George said it after one round. George said it in Bahrain. He thinks Red Bull is going to run the table. It's on. It's very much on here. Monaco was their last real susceptible round on paper. Yeah, it, it's going to take. Uh, it, it's going to take the intervention of reliability or a crash. Also, because <laughs> the car is so potent that if they get dropped down the field, unless it's in like the last 10 laps of the race, they're just going to drive back through everyone again. Yeah, they can They can do that. They can beat the field. They can beat half the field without even trying at this point. Like we saw Verstappen do it in Jeddah by lap, what, 25? He was, he was, he was second. Like, He's taking his time. Yeah. He, he didn't need he, he, it. There was no sense of urgency. <laughs> There was no sense of, oh, well, shit, we've got to get up to Perez. No, it was, oh, just, we'll, we'll wait for the DRS to make sure we properly beat you. Um, just, just, just so we made, there's no chance of a counter-attack whatsoever here. We're just going to absolutely tenderize you here. It's just going to be beatings all around. 
Um, and that and that's how it's been pretty much all season long. Um, and like we're trying to style this out, but this is what it is now. Like this dominance hits there's nothing, different. There's nothing to style out. No. Um, this is what happens when your two main competitors, while well, Ferrari are um, eating crayons in the corner, um, <laughs> as they have been more or less since twenty than since the second half of twenty eighteen on the car side. Mm. Um, and Mercedes, who are really the the crux of our next topic. Well, they've only just now dropped a concept that took 18 months to realize, eh, maybe this doesn't really work. I wrote a piece about this on WTF1.com that came out today um, on the website. For those who are fans of me on WTF1, yes, I'm getting a post. I'm getting a post weekend column uh, every, every after every weekend now. So uh, do check that out every Monday after a Grand Prix finishes. So. Stay tuned for that. Bit of a shameless plug, but I wanted to talk about Verstappen's dominance in the context of, like, people argue me, oh, well, Dre, it's not any different to, like, when Hamilton did it or when Vettel did it or when Schumacher did it. And which my response is, no, this does hit differently for multiple reasons. Number one, at least Hamilton had genuine competition. Rosberg, Vettel, the, the Verstappen down the back end, like there were genuinely intense seasons we had with title fights that went deep into seasons. Like I said, th- th- this th- this hits more like twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, where they're just there's nothing. They are completely unassailable. Yeah. Um, and even the the first three years of the Mercedes era, we had that teammate dynamic. Imagine, if you will, those three years if it was Bottas driving the other Mercedes. No chance. And we, and we knew been, straight away. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even in 2015, when Mercedes were vulnerable, half the time they just turned the car up even further and ran the field over anyways, or Vettel snagged a couple of wins when the Ferrari was able. This just feels like 2020 where the car is, oh, oh, we're losing. Let's just turn the car up a little bit more and drive through everyone. It's spinal tap. The gauge goes all the way up to 11. and it's This one goes up to 19. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Like We haven't got an internal threat because Sergio Perez is not good enough to contend for a championship, unfortunately. I love the guy. He's a great asset for the sport, and he's a great number two driver for Red Bull. He's nothing more than that, and I'll get to more into that later. But Perez is not that guy. He's not an eco Rosberg. And look, in that same article, I broke the fourth wall. I said even we tried to force the issue trying to make Checo we. seem like he's a bigger rival than he actually is. <laughs> we. <laughs> yeah, we is a workforce. I, I I broke the fourth wall, but I don't think my editor-in-chief even noticed, bless him. Uh, I, I got just like, Now yeah. he will. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, look, like, I was never under that illusion, not for a minute, because y- you, you have a car that you can kind of tune to both of their styles, but because of the way Max drives the car and he works the car on the entry to the corner, the way he sets up his cars is just going to be faster if you can live with it. It's the way Lewis has set up his cars. It's the way Seb used to set up his cars. Contrary to popular belief, it's the way Schumacher was practically fucking unbeatable, where he mm. would just set the car up basically to try and kill him into corner entry, and he could live with it. Yeah. 
and Max can live with it. And Perez, fair play to him. His style does work at on street some tracks. tracks. Yeah, street tracks. At some tracks. I, yeah. I don't think it's exclusively street tracks. Um, I think that's a bit of a misnomer because, well, he got a couple street wins this year because, well, Verstappen's drive shaft exploded. Well, Saudi people Arabia. leaned into the bit a little bit too hard with Checo on that. I think, I think a part of it is is coincidental. A part of it is yes, the fact he likes to carry a bit more apex speed and he likes to smooth his car out on exit suits street tracks where there's a lot more ninety degree corners and there's a lot more stop and start. That style suits Perez very well. But on conventional tracks, for like where it's a lot more twisty and turny and a lot more technical. Max, Max can just, just yeah. Max can live with a setup that allows him to be a lot more precise and carry far more, you know, almost arrow speed. Like mm. in arrow corners, he can just carry more speed um, because of the way he drives the car. And the Red Bull, you can set it up both ways. You can set it up to suit both drivers, but one way is always inherently going to be faster if you yeah. can live with it. You factor in that. You factor in the fact that Hamilton was a lot more likable in general off the track as well. I think it delayed a lot of the casual sports fans talk about how, you know, we get bored of dominance very quickly in sports in general, but Hamilton was so transcendently popular that it it, it kind of delayed that dialogue for a good two or three years because by the time we got to 2020, Hamilton's reach was far beyond the normal scale of F1. Max isn't on that level. Max isn't interested in enhancing his brand outside of the sport itself. You factor all that in with the hope that I think a lot of people had going into this set of regulations regarding closer racing, a shortened close, a shortened cost cap, you know, and now... Well, well and I think people... <laughs> I think there's a, been a big reality check in that sense, Dre, because... Mm. And this is the case for every open formula type of motorsport on the planet earth and always has been someone is going to nail the rules out of the gate Always, that is just a fact of life ask ducati about that in moto gp in 2007 yeah where against all odds they nailed those regulations for the prototypes right out of the gate um you know lmp 900 with audi there were limits in place and it didn't matter because the Audi R8 folded the field over for half a decade. Yeah. Um, you think this is dominance? Oh, yeah. This it was going to happen. Now, the other thing that gave us the delayed views on that was that Ferrari were good in the first half of 2022. Yeah, absolutely. But as Red Bull cured the flaws with their car, mainly on the weight side, the limitations of the Ferrari became clear. And now Ferrari has abandoned much of their concept to start that they started these regulations with. And it's brought them nowhere because Ferrari doesn't know how to develop a car and they haven't developed a car over a season since 2010. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a neat segue into what I wanted to get into next anyway, because F1's middle class is another reason why you know, we're in this sort of predicament right now, because the, the middle class, which, basically constitutes the rest of the points right now. Pretty much. Like, Mercedes got their first proper <coughs> racing with their new concept, side pod wise new floor, etc. 
finished second and third, double podium. Good weekend for Mercedes, a critical weekend in their fight against Aston Martin. Well, that's a big weekend where Mercedes are concerned. 33 points on the weekend, no one's complaining about at all. Ferrari tried out new side pods and a new floor and a new rear wing, and uh, that was a disaster. media, right? So take this with an entire salt mine. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, they had found 12 points of downforce um, in the wind tunnel. And they bolted it on the car, and it was nowhere to be found. Only Ferrari. <laughs> Only Ferrari. Carlos Sainz started second. He'd end up fifth on the day in the end behind the two Mercedes and Sergio Perez's Red Bull. And Charles Leclerc didn't even get into the points at all. He started the race in, from the pit lane after qualifying 19th. Um, Charles said straight up, my car couldn't turn left. Mm. Yeah, the car was trying to kill him every left turn. Um and Ferrari tried to cure it by changing everything behind the tub. Yeah. Didn't really cure much of anything. Yeah. Broke park firm, replaced the entire back end of the car. Nothing. Like mm. the clerk had to, had to run two hard tire stints in that race. He was the most conservative of them all out there on race strategy. Uh, one of them was pretty quick, actually. And one of them was completely unwatchably poor. Yeah. And they don't know why. Yeah, I, 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 I still find it. I, I was, I was, was spoiler alert for those who don't know or like, the, like a little bit of behind the scenes. Every word you hear on the WTF One YouTube channels are now written by yours truly. The shorts and the main videos. Just ignore the person that voices them over the the, the long ones. Point I'm getting at here is that. I had to read the transcripts of Fred Vassar in the media and the press conferences when he was talking to the media after the race. I was startled at what I was reading from Fred Vassar, where it was like, even on the same compounds, we don't know what's going on with this car. It's it's it was a frightening admission that like Ferrari just don't know what's up with their own car. You know what it reminds me of, if you remember back to twenty nineteen. Mm which that car was very much blue hot, blue, blue hotter than the surface of the sun or colder than Pluto. Questions about its legality aside, it reminds me of Baku in 2019, where we had the late safety car and the Ferrari, which hadn't worked whatsoever in race trim up to that point, suddenly worked fine. And we're nipping at Mercedes heels. And I remember Seb climbing out, Seb and Charles climbing out of the cars and looking back at them like, what the hell is this mm. car doing to me? Because they just don't know what's wrong. And it's changing lap to lap, corner to corner, um, tire to tire on the same compound. There's yes. no pattern. And without a pattern, they can't hope to try and rectify it. <sighs> what a mess of a team. Yeah. And I mean, the the question is, are we any closer to figuring out the fight for second with also Aston Martin having a bit of an off weekend by their own stand, by their new standards right now? Mm. Um, are we? I, I, I don't know. The thing is, is that Ferrari are probably amazingly they're the most confusing, but also the least confusing team at the same time, because it's pretty obvious they're the fourth best team right now. And yeah. something I found out the other day, they're actually like they're almost as close to Alpine in fifth as they are to Mercedes Benz in second. Like you know what they are? They're Alpine from last year. 
where they're kind of in a chasm. They're faster than everyone behind them in race trim. They, they are quicker than Alpine, who we will touch on. But no, in no race trim, mind. but in race trim, they, they have nothing. They, they have no pace in race trim. They just, they qualify well and then they just drop. Yeah, it's, it's alarming how weird it is with them. And Mercedes, like, <coughs> They seem to be pretty happy with their double slide. I mean, it's a good result on paper for them. So you can't, we can't, I mean, we all know Max is a monster. So second and third was as good as they were going to get. That was the best possible result Mercedes could have gotten um, in the grand scheme of things. But, you know. But we don't evaluate Mercedes in the context of second and third. And right, as you've so often said, and... They were closer to Red Bull, but closer is relative. I mean, they went from, what, eight to nine tenths off to a net probably seven to eight tenths. Something like that. Which, given that they've practically brought a B-spec car in all but name, um, all but name and tub, they looked good. And this is a track that suited them last year. And that's what concerns me, is that last year, Mercedes, okay, you know, they're in their groove now. They can start working to back towards the front of the grid. And then they cratered again in uh, Canada. They were awful mm-hmm. uh, last season. So I would be wary of calling us another false dawn for Mercedes. Right. Because their car seems to like this kind of fast sweeping conventional track. Just the DNA of this car. Yeah, like and like Merck's released their technical debrief today regarding this, and Andrew Shovlin, um, one of the senior technical heads in that team, spoke very candidly about the fact that they are actually probably playing down their hand, and it's not just it's not just Mercedes doing what they normally do, where it's like, oh, no, we're not that fast, it's fine. I think this 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 seems quite genuine from what Shovlin is saying. He said, "Quote: What do we expect from Montreal?" As I said, we are thinking it will be more along the lines of some of the earlier races where we were definitely in the bunch with Ferrari, with Aston, and now Alpine look to have joined that group. But it's great racing there. It will be good fun, and we are certainly going to be fighting to find every little bit of performance we can because the way the grid stacks up now, you could be P2 or you could be P10, and there's only a few temps in it. We are certainly looking forward to more exciting racing, but we are also aware that Canada is likely to be a bigger challenge than the Sunday we just had in Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, I mean, their car. I think I think it looks better uh, in aero-dependent corners, traction-dependent corners. It's still a little iffy, but then mm. the Mercedes of this era has always had great tire wear, and that is always going to help you at Barcelona, right? Whereas, you know. The Ferrari is quick over a lap, but it just destroys its tires. It's brutal, but uh... um, it's the exact opposite car trait. And then you have Aston, who curiously qualified okay, were high enough in the race, at least with Stroll, and then kind of just they just had no pace on the soft. Al- Alonso was just off all weekend, like. It's weird. I don't know if it was the pressure of his home Grand Prix because there was a lot of hype. There was a lot of hope for Alonso going into this one. Of course, it's going to be it's Catalonia. He's a god in that part of in that part of the world, relatively speaking. Like like if you saw the hype 
on, on the marketing hype that was going into this about, oh, yeah, well, they've put Alonso in garage number 33. He's looking for win number 33. This could be the one. Carlos Alcaraz was writing win 33 on his tennis cameras going going towards it. And uh, Jason's got the point down in the chat where he says, didn't he get floor damage? One of the tests? Yeah, he did in quarterfinal. Yeah, that's why he qualified. One of the reasons why he qualified down solo. They did fix that for the race, but again, better pace in the race for Alonso, but not where we've expected Aston to be given their form. But then their car does generate, it, it makes its downforce in kind of a dirty way. It is a draggy car, mm. and a draggy car will punish you here. Yeah. Um, and they're just, they're not that quick down the straights, and they can't make it up really in the corners. Uh, enough to compensate it versus the cars around them. I do think Mercedes, I think Mercedes and Aston will kind of come back together as we, as we well, go to I different think, tracks. Yeah. I think they'll converge a bit more. Hmm. I think they'll converge a little bit more. I think Ferrari, unless they get their tire wear under control are going to remain fourth best in race trim and it's a shame for Alpine because Alpine actually did have pretty good pace on Sunday. They did, yeah. Enough to maybe trouble the Aston Martins, but the team was just did not have their head in the game. It, multiple five-second pit stops, and then that hurt their track position. Then they had to use a little bit of their tire to regain that track position. It wasn't as good as it could have been, especially because Pierre Gasly fucked around and found out twice in qualifying and threw away a P4 grid slot. What are you doing, man? It's the story of Gasly's season. The upside is clearly there with Gasly. I mean, he was running top five in Australia for the vast majority of that race until the final restart. And it's happened again here where he puts out a stonking lap, qualifies fourth, but then has to to take six places of grid penalties to drop him down to 10th. How close is he going to keep coming to getting a race ban? Well, he's a lucky boy in the sense of, the FIA changed their penalty point system this year so that minor incidents like blocking and qualifying doesn't carry penalty point, but doesn't carry penalty points anymore. I don't like that for what it's worth. I think, I think it's stupid. Like the whole point to me of a penalty point system is that it's meant to be a deterrent to stop you from repeating yourself over and over again over an extended period of time. Getting rid of it for minor excursions is silly. Like, the, the question we should be asking here isn't, oh, are we being too harsh with penalties? The question we should be asking here is, why was Gasly on 10 in the first place? And he's a lucky, lucky boy that Alpine basically knocked their heads together and made them share responsibility for the Australia crash because it was really on Gasly. It was massively on Gasly, and it's just that they got away with it. One, because they both took accountability for it, or should I say Ocon lied through his teeth. And the second part of it is that, generally speaking, if it's a teammate-on-teammate clash, the stewards wipe their hands of it. They just say, well, you suffered enough. I was going to say, if if he had hit anyone else, he would have already received his race ban. No question. Jack Dewan, come on down. (laughs) It's your time, son. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's... Just failure to execute more than anything else, which is just startling for out for Alpine. and that was a golden chance for Alpine to get another really big chunk of points, if nothing else, to clear themselves of the chase impact behind them. Like <sighs> McLaren is the only other team that I think has got even half a chance. 
of chasing RP nothing of McLaren, where Lando Norris qualified the car P3 and then drove into the back of Lewis Hamilton 10 seconds into the race, destroyed his front wing and his race with it. What what was he cooking? To give Lando the benefit of the doubt, I think Hamilton checked up a little bit through turn two, and I think it just caught Norris out. I don't think there was too much. I don't think there was too much in it, really. I think it was, just, it was more, I think, bad luck in a lap one incident than anything worse. Anything like City from Norris. I think, it was, I think he was more unlucky than anything else. But it's still a brutal uh, way for. It's the second time this year McLaren's had a race ruined off the start. Brutal, because uh, they, they were both running. They were running in the points. Like Piastri was in the points in Jeddah, and then. Gasly's bump against the wall ruined four people's races uh, all at once. Oh, ironically, that was also another race where Valtteri Bottas had floor damage because he had it here too. It's why he finished in nineteenth. Um, my, my dude just needs to—he needs to break out the alpha from like three years ago. Clearly, he's, he's missing a trick. <laughs> Less sensitive floor. Mm, I was going to say. Um, oh, before we move into the last segment as well, by the way, penalty or no penalty for Yuki Tsunoda? Okay, I see why he was penalized, but (laughs) now that's an illegal move because Max kind of did the same thing to signs at turn one. He did. And we saw we, we saw three or four overtakes that were done more or less by squeezing the car either out or all the way off the track at turn one. Agreed. That is racing etiquette. That, that's racing etiquette now in Formula One. They let you do things that make you look bad. You tell um, them So sometimes they penalize this. Sometimes they don't. That's the sometimes problem. they don't penalize it. Or they do penalize it. And then there's another example in the same race and a team appeals that penalty and gets it successfully appealed because someone else committed the same offense. Another classic case of one of Jason's four favorite words now, knock wappy, because no one knows what a penalty is anymore. And uh, yeah, like for me personally, first and foremost, I love the fact that Yuki Tsunoda, who met up with Kristaps Pazingas during that, during that Grand Prix weekend. The duality of man in one picture. Five foot three Yuki Sonoda arm in arm with seven foot three uh Kristaps Pasingas, which great picture. I haven't seen it already. Go go find it on the internet. It's, it's very funny. Don't ever talk to me or my son ever again. Yes, like like Yuki going up to Kristaps nipple height. It's uh it's it's quite embarrassing. But also he accused Joe Guan Yu of flopping, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> uh, uh, to quote Yuki Sonoda's own words, get your brain checked. <laughs> Uh, you know, he said that Joe dived off the track on purpose to make it look worse. That is hilarious to me. That is that is wild. That <laughs> I, I, lo- I love it's the sheer audacity of Yuki to even say something like that. But but he's wrong. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's worth mentioning in the chat, and so I wanted to mention it. Should we talk about Martin's misspeak? Yes, I will briefly mention Martin Brundle's misspeak because it's not been picked up by a lot of people in the mainstream media during the course of that race. Martin Brundle referred to Zhou Guanyu as a as a quote China man end quote, not acceptable, not in the slightest. I don't think I need to go into too much more detail than that, unfortunately. And this is me adding a bit of nuance here. It is a phrase that is still used a lot in this country. 
more than I think a lot of Brit- lot, lot of us British people would like to admit. It's a slang term in the sport of cricket as well to describe a left arm spinner. Um, it is an antiquated, nasty term. It's a slur. It should not be used. Um, and it needs to be eradicated from old old man English culture, one hundred and ten percent. If anything, I'm st- like like I, I heard the clip in question. Like, like Brundle pauses immediately. He knows he effed up on that one, and I think he should have immediately apologized for it on the air. But unfortunately, it all just seemed to be glossed over, which I think is very unfortunate. Um, it's, it's not been a good week for Brock. I know that much beloved Formula uh, for, uh, Italian Formula Two commentator Davide Valsecchi got suspended on Sky Sports Italia as well because he made a bunch of sexist jokes about women uh, during you know live on the air. It's it's like get it together, people. Honestly, to say nothing of what's going on with uh, one Jack Nichols. Yeah, um, guys. Yeah. Get, get 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 our shit together. Get your fucking shit together. Yeah, like I know people have asked me about this, and I'm going to be careful how I say this because, because full disclosure, Jack Nichols is a colleague. If you're a fan of WTF One, then uh, I'm sure you're well aware that he's been voicing over our videos for quite some time. Um, Jack himself has stepped back from doing work for WTF One in general. But I will happily say, regardless of the views of the company, I completely, uh, I'm completely against everything he did, and it's deplorable his actions that have been reported in pretty much every major UK paper. Not, not cool. Not acceptable. Awful. Shouldn't be anywhere near a microphone, in my opinion. Um, and if anyone's got a problem with that, they can take it up with me directly because, uh, yeah, not okay. And I will happily say that on the record. Um, get it together, people. Across the board, get it together. But uh, before we get out of here real quick, I mean, we've got to talk a little bit about Checo as well, Cam. And like I mentioned earlier, three rounds ago, he just won Baku. Yeah, was a little bit lucky about how the safety car shook out in the end. But I, I think he had the pace to win that race regardless. Yeah, he held his own out there um, anyway. It was a good win by all accounts. Yeah. Um, but at that point, he's only six points off the off the championship lead. And a lot of people were still hanging on to the hope that, you know, he might be able to give Verstappen the challenge over the rest of the season. Three rounds later, he's now 53 points back. Uh, remember what I said last year? Um, I think it was, I think it was about Ferrari dropping point after point after point. I think it was third. I I think it was something along the lines of, is Max even going to drop 39 points for the rest of the year? And then I don't think he actually did. (laughs) Um, pretty much the same sentiment here. Like, is Max going to even drop 53 points for the rest of this year? We probably are, not. We are at the point where if Max has a clean weekend, he probably wins. He does win. If Max has a clean weekend, he wins. If Max doesn't have a clean weekend, he still probably finishes second. He's not finished any lower than second so far this season, has he? No. Yeah, because in Baku, he was second. In Jeddah, he was second. And yeah, and everything else has been a win. 
Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's the the, uh, the the Mark Marquez 2019 treatment? He's yeah. not going to drop 53 points for the rest of the year on merit. He would have like assuming it's first or seconds the rest of the way through, which is a, a decent chance of that happening. The way the season's played out so far. I mean, funny things have happened in this sport and they will continue to happen in this sport, but let's assume no shenanigans. He'd have to not win anywhere between six and eight races, depending on where the fastest lap bonus point goes. For oh, him, sorry? For, for Only in the points. Baku sprint, he wasn't second. Pretty yeah. sure he finished third with uh, third. A, a massive hole in his side. hole box. in his so, side that George Russell put there. <laughs> yeah, and that wasn't worth full points anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was the equivalent of dropping one extra point. Okay. So, yeah, the way this is going, if Max has a clean weekend, he wins. And this is just, like, Perez is not on this level. He just isn't. And we, we need to, like, at this point, even I'm a bit fed up now of essentially saying, like, stop trying to make Perez happen. It's like Mean Girl. Stop trying to make Fetch happen. It'll never happen. Like, <laughs> stop trying to make Perez happen. It's it's not... Look, we all love Checo. Like, he's a, gr- he's a great ambassador for the sport when he's not drunk in a Monaco bar. He is a great support guy and number two driver and leader for a midfield team. Absolutely. But and that's okay. More. And that's okay. If and anything, that's why he's that's why he's there. Yeah. Look, what he's getting now is back pay for a brilliant 10-year career in the midfield where he was the best midfield driver in Formula 1 for a long, long time. Like, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad, if anything, when it's all said and done, Perez can go back home and say he had at least five wins. That's already better than 99.5% of any F1 driver ever. He's got the same amount of as Charles Leclerc right now. <laughs> and Charles Leclerc, and, 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 this, and this is no disrespect to Checo. Charles Leclerc is a far more talented driver than Sergio Perez is, in my opinion. And What Ferrari does, does to a motherfucker. How does Leclerc only have five wins? <laughs> Ferrari keeps building cars that can only qualify. <sighs> Perez has had the... One of the strongest F1 cars we've ever seen for a season and a half, and he has five wins to his name. It's Valtteri Bottas again. Like Bottas had ten in the end at Mercedes, but he I was there say, for five if, years. I <laughs> would say if he if this was Bottas, he would have finished like eighth on Sunday because Bottas just could not drive through a field. No, um, but then that was in the previous generation of cars that also couldn't drive through a field. But Does Lewis he, yeah. could do it. Lewis could do it because he was that good. And, Shit, Max did it in Monaco one year when he fucked his entire weekend up, um, crashing into a wall. So, you know, the best at this game can find a way. And right now, Perez is not really, he's just not able to find that extra gear. It's, yeah, I mean, the last three rounds, you're looking at Miami, where he started from pole, but butchered his first stint and let Max back in quite comfortably in the end. Monaco, his entire weekend was derailed from Q1, where he overdrives it and puts it into the wall at Sandovot. In uh, Q1. In Q1. 
like Q3 I could almost understand to an extent, but Q1, like Jesus Christ. And now this round where he couldn't get heat into his tires in qualifying, gets knocked out in Q2 and could only manage fourth on the comeback and beaten by George Russell who started behind you on the road. In an objectively inferior car. It's not good enough. Like, I, I, I did a WTF1 rap show with Jaime Algaswari, a man who knows about the struggles of being a Red Bull driver. Um, and he torched Checo. Torched him. Said that this was not good enough. You said you, you got 200 points of downforce on the field and you're only finishing fourth from 11th on the grid. Like, it was... Like, I just sat back and let the man cook because it was, it was just like... It grabbed you, the deck chair and a beer. Yeah, my man was my man had words like as, as Jason quite rightly points out in the chat here. He's closer to Fernando than Max. That's unacceptable. Agreed. A hundred percent. Yeah. And again, objectively, one of the best Formula One cars we've ever seen. At minimum, he should be on the podium every race. Right. And he's not. He's been off the podium twice already this year. It's just it's like this is not like it's not Bottas levels of bad where it's like could we well three times going Jason my bad but like like it's it's not ideal and it's not bad to the point where it's like oh replace him but it ain't a great look when you're 150 points off your teammate last year and you're tracking to do that again this year the way the season's gone so far. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it, it's, and look, like like you said, he is a fine number two. He's an excellent cleanup man, and he will clean up if Max has an off weekend, assuming everything goes well on Perez's end. But the execution just isn't there from Checo, and the execution isn't there. He's making silly mistakes, and he can't. He he has not been able to prove that he can win on anywhere other than a street track yet. That's just how it goes. Or even, I'm not asking him to win. No. Because right now Max is operating at 10 tenths. Um, and he's just, he's cracked the code of these cars. He's cracked the code of these tires. But you can't, you have to be at minimum the next car down the road. At sure. a minimum. That's that, that. That's where it begins, and it? It, it's it felt the same way about Bottas when he was at when he was failing to clean up the races that Lewis didn't win in 2020. I'm like, you're in one of the most dominant cars we have ever seen, and you're finishing fourth and fifth with it. Just not good enough. And and, and in 2021 again, Bottas was much closer to Max again in an objectively inferior Red Bull um, than he was to Lewis. I mean, Lewis he, Lewis won that championship multiple races in advance. Max is on track to do that again. And because of the dominance of this year's car versus last, where you had Ferrari in the mix, you had Mercedes in the mix on occasion, the gaps between them from when Max wins and when Perez and when Perez doesn't win should be smaller because Perez should be finishing second or third at minimum. And he just isn't. Yeah, it's an ominous time to be a fan of, of Formula One uh, and, and this championship because it's looking very much like it's going to be the Max Verstappen show for a little while yet. We are back 
in two weeks' time in Canada. Uh, um, the Circuit Gilles Villeneuve for the Canadian Grand Prix. One of my favorites on the calendar. I do love Canada. I really do. Um, uh, the corner cutter's paradise. <laughs> very much so. Uh, we'll look forward to that one. It's going to be fun. Um, hopefully, we'll get a bit more of a contest in that one. Not likely. But uh, one can only hope. But uh, hey, it still makes for an interesting show. And despite the fact it was a pretty dull Grand Prix with not a lot to talk about, we still went for nearly an hour. Go us. Um, <laughs> but uh, until next time, I've been Dre Harrison. He's been Cam Buckley. We'll see you back for IndyCar in Detroit. Take care. Sayonara. I guess I'll take RJ's place. Later, y'all. <laughs>